Despite being industrial powerhouses, Korea and Japan are both resource-poor nations with limited domestic sources of energy. Powering their economies required both to develop supply chains for fossil fuels, nuclear power, and renewable energy to power their economies. However, different domestic political constraints resulted in differing approaches to achieving energy security. On September 21, 2023, KEI hosted a discussion on Korea and Japan's efforts to achieve energy security with Dr. Sungik Oh, who discussed his new book, Overseas Energy Investment of Korea and Japan, How Did Two East Asian Resources-Rare Industrial Giants Respond to Energy Security Challenges? Troy Sangaro, Senior Director and Fellow here at KEI. We are delighted to have with us today Dr. Sungik Oh from the Korean Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, and Transportation, and Eric Hans from the Center for International Private Enterprise to discuss how South Korea and Japan approached meeting their energy needs. Both countries, as I'm sure you are well aware, are resource poor and needed to import significant amounts of fossil fuel to power what are today two of the world's most advanced industrial economies. Despite facing similar needs, the two countries took different approaches to meeting their energy needs. How these differences developed and why is a focus of a new book by Dr. Oh, which I have here today and would commend to you. It's Overseas Energy Investment of Korea and Japan. How did the two East Asian resource uh, rare industrial giants respond to energy security challenges? It's available for purchase on Amazon.com. Dr. Oh is the Director General for the Kestrel Resurvey Planning at the Korea Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, and Transport. He is also a former Assistant Director at the Ministry of Maritime Affairs and Fisheries, where he initiated Korea's Ocean Strategy 2030. Eric leads CIPE's Center for Accountable Investment, which uses the lens of corrosive and constructive capital to examine the impact of investment on democratic market institutions. He's frequently featured in the media as an expert on economic reform and policy in Ukraine and other former Soviet states. We'll begin today with remarks by Dr. Oh on his research into Korea and Japan's energy choices, and then turn to Eric for some context with additional examples, such as how Ukraine has navigated this choice before moving to Q&A. Dr. Oh, the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and all those around the world who have a deep appreciation for Korea and Korean culture, my name is Hong Iko, Director General at Korea's Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, and Transport. It is my honor to have an opportunity to share Korea's experience in economic policy and energy security policy in comparison with the Japan case. In particular for me, who started learning English at the age of 13, this is truly a special moment. Throughout the years, Many institutes like Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Korea's Ministry of Economy and Finance, KEI, and Korea Foundation have dedicated their utmost efforts to advance Korea's public diplomacy. As a fellow Korean, I would like to express my deepest gratitude. However, I also want to say that we should not remain complacent. President Yoon Sung Yeol's proactive diplomacy and remarkable influence and efforts of those working in the K-pop industry like BTS and Blackpink have opened up a new policy environment where potential for K-contents 
has greatly expanded. So now we have more work to do. It is quite unfortunate there aren't enough English language resources to share Korea's experience of economic growth. Indeed, we have a lot of work to do. For instance, countries like Colombia, who are keen on learning from Korea's land reform experience during recent month administration, would not be satisfied with learning just a broad overview, such as the conversion of land laws and land capital to industrial capital. They would be eager to learn more about practical insights and know-hows, such as the Korean government's land acquisition pricing strategy and how the government effectively handled such transactions, especially considering the financial challenges the government faced at that time in 1950s. When I met the Infrastructure Minister of Ukraine, I had pleasure of presenting him with a book titled Korea Story, by, written by former Chief Presidential Economic Secretary Owen Chur. Just as this work serves as a valuable resource, if we could compile the rich experiences of our senior colleagues in English and make them more accessible to policymakers around the world, it could truly elevate the way we share Korea's economic development experience with the world to an entirely new level. Various platforms like today's seminar give us great opportunities to connect with global community, and this fosters mutual understanding. Korea can gain a deeper understanding of the global perspective. In, in turn, people around the world can come to appreciate the blood, toil, tears, and sweat shed by Korean people in throughout the history, and also better understand our dreams. Alongside this, I believe that by supporting the efforts of overseas Koreans who passionately teach Hangul at their own expenses to foreigners, as I encountered at Harvard University a few days ago, we can create a more sustainable framework for sharing Korean culture and development experience through collaboration between the public and private sectors. With this a brief introduction, let us dive into today's lecture. This book was born from the episode between Dr. Fukuyama and myself. When we met at this PhD orientation session at SAIS, after saying hello, I told Dr. Fukuyama that I plan to compare Korea and Japan. And his answer was too similar to compare. While some people who have seen the world macro view see Korea and Japan as the same, such as using chopstick or English phobia. I could not agree with that intuitive thought. That was the start of this story. 
Let's look at similarities. Both countries suffer from war, but they succeeded in economic development, where the respective central governments played an important role, as described by Chalmers Johnson. Informed network matters in social life. Both have a military alliance with the US. Due to a lack of resources, both have to import resources. Also, they have strong affection to diaspora, such as Japanese in Brazilian, Korean diaspora in Central Asia. However, the difference is noticeable in their political structures, where important policies are decided and get legitimacy. Let me explain in order of background summary and more on energy security. Since the Russia-Ukraine war in February 2022, the energy market has become unstable. Saudi Arabia's decrease in oil production adds to the market instability. And this made more and more people interested in energy security. Under the US-China rivalry, it seems that it has become more important to understand the US alliances, Korea and Japan. Let us move to the summary of Blue. This week is about change, policy change. While Japan is known to be gradual in policy making, Korea is known for its decisiveness. What would be significant as independent variable? In this book, I wrote that it is the number of veto players. My question is, why did two strong states, Korea and Japan, produce different outcome in realizing public cooperation for overseas oil and gas production? This question comes from the fact that Japan's overseas oil and gas development only by private companies. On the other hand, more than half of Korea's overseas oil and gas was produced by public corporations, COGAS and KNOC. This study explores the answer through the Beto player theory. The definition of the bitter player theory is a, an individual or collective actor whose agreement is required for policy decisions. There are institutional partisan and other bitter players, including interest groups and NGO. According to the theory, if there are more veto players, it is difficult to change policies. Therefore, in this case study, my hypothesis is if there are more veto players, it becomes more difficult to establish or strengthen public cooperation. This picture is a reflection of the theory which I draw by myself. 
we can identify beta players horizontally and vertically. For Japan, there are more beta players than Korea. Noticeable difference is the role of LDP in policy making with, with policy affairs, affairs, research council, and executive council. Another difference is the role of interest groups in policy making like KDANLEM. In comparison, you can see how different it is in Korea. Let us see four plus one cases of attempt to establish state-owned oil companies. First case, in 1960s, MITI, MITI's original idea was to establish a state-owned oil enterprise to promote Japan's acquisition of equity oil, such as the oil developed in the Kafuji oil field by Japanese Arabian oil company. However, the final outcome was the establishment of Japan Petroleum Development Corporation, JPDC, which supports the private sector's overseas oil venture financially. This outcome is mainly attributed to interaction among a large number of BITO players shown in this slide. Let's move to second case. In 1970s, Korea's Ministry of Trade and Industry made efforts to establish a state-owned oil company and succeeded in establishing the Korea Petroleum Development Corporation, PADCO. Now it is KNOC. This is in, uh, uh, established in 1979. While original idea was to establish a state-owned enterprise to deal exclusively with oil stockpiling in the aftermath of the first oil shock. The proposal was expanded to SOE that was vertically integrated. This was possible mainly owing to a small number of bit of players. Also, the ministry could succeed in realization due to the domestic oil fever shown left part of this slide and Japan's delayed ratification of the Korea-Japan Continental Shelf Joint Development Agreement. In Japan, third case, in Japan, the idea to state owned oil company was conceived again during the debt-ridden JNOC debacle during the Koizumi administration. As a countermeasure to the abolishment of JNOC, METI proposed a state-owned oil company to deal with important oil and gas assets inherited from JNOC. However, METI could not achieve it. The final outcome was to privatize impacts 
one of the better performing subsidiaries of the China. In the face of complex political struggle, in particular opposition of Mr. Horiuchi, LD then for LDP Executive Council head. Betty evaded difficulties by establishing quasi SOE. Also, the establishment of Jogmen, establishment of Jogmen, a similar public institution to JNOT, is another example that displays policy resoluteness. Fourth case is yeah, the Korean government made efforts to strengthen its state-owned oil company, Kano, when it faced oil price hike in 2008. One key policy was to was an effort to increase country's oil and gas self oil and gas self-sufficiency ratio through overseas oil development. And State need to directly fund large investment to increase EMP assets. KNOC's reinvigoration was possible thanks to the small number of bit of players in Korea's policy making. After the ruling party won the general election, this is about the Decade after 2010, on the one hand, the role of impacts, role of impacts in Japan's energy security has been stronger, and the outcome of its consistency is increasing, increasing trend of uh, in terms of Japan's oil and gas self-sufficiency ratio. On the other hand, Korea's energy security policy has fluctuated due to the changing level of interest or indifference of political leaders through different administration. The result is different from that of Japan. This part is extension of chapter three of my book. This is about Korea-Japan agreement on joint development of continental chef in East China Sea. The location is south from Jeju Island, just north from Okinawa Trough. The agreement was effective since June 1978, and it will be terminated in June 2028 if there is a three-year prior notice in June 2025. Korea and Japan had succeeded in evading conflict for joint development of continental shelf. As I mentioned, under Russia-Ukraine war, we have to enhance energy, supp energy supp supply through cooperation. Due to supply and price volatility, Korea and Japan, which depend on Import needs to have their own minimum supply or supply basis within the region. Therefore, I would like to ask you to think about the extension of the agreement for enhancing energy security 
under this volatile situation. Korea has successfully invited two important international organizations, Green Crime Fund and GGGI. It's possible thanks to uh, political leaders' strong support, and it seems that this is also the outcome of policy decisiveness. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Well, uh, I don't know if I will match Dr. O's uh, presentation. Uh, I don't have a PowerPoint slide, so you'll just have to bear looking at, at me. Um, so I'd like to thank uh, the Korean Economic Institute. Uh, thank Dr. O for his uh, the copy of his book, which I will read uh, uh, in, in, on the train on the way home. Uh, you know, you started with an introduction to uh, your your case with uh, Professor Fukuyama, and so we did not plan this. But I was with Professor Fukuyama in Kazakhstan uh, just last month, uh, doing a, a leadership academy for development, which is a program that we run. Uh, with Stanford's uh, Center for Democracy, Development, and Rule of Law. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that I need to remind Professor Fukuyama about this, this quote uh, the next time that I see him uh, and, and see if he has any, any change of, of heart uh, in, in, in uh, relation to your, your studies and your endeavors. Uh, but also as a person who has studied the former Soviet Union and been involved in this former Soviet space for more than 20 years, I did appreciate your comment uh, about separating Japan from Korea uh, and treating them as two individual entities with their own political economies. Uh, oftentimes, uh, prior to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, I heard here in Washington and Brussels and elsewhere, Ukraine and Russia, these are similar entities. They have there's, there's no differentiation. There's no air between the two when you look at their political economy. And we realize now, I think belatedly, that there is a significant uh, uh, difference between the political economy of the two countries um, and that uh, trying to take the macro view of everything leads to some poor policy choices and poor policy decisions and investment of resources of time and funds. Um, on, the, on the issue of energy, uh, energy is, is fundamental, is the cornerstone to every modern economic state, every modern developed state. Uh, and as such, energy security is economic security, which is national security. Uh, and there's a direct line between the two, between those three issues. Uh, Dr. O has really put his finger on that issue with the development of uh, of uh, independent policy in both Korea and Japan around their, their energy security. If you look at the WTO, the World Trade Organization, and the disputes, many of those disputes are fundamentally about the price of energy and inputs, inputs into the problem, into the, into the final product. <laughs> in fact, we can anticipate that the European Union's uh, case against uh, electric vehicles in Europe, in, into Europe uh, will center around the subs subsidy uh, provided by Chinese to energy uh, and the energy industry in the production of electric vehicles. Um, so again, as a primary cornerstone input into every economic activity, uh, energy security is a, is a 
a worthwhile and necessary uh, subject to really understand. Uh, further, Dr. O also alluded to the transition between green and carbon economies. Uh, to my mind, green economy, it's not one or the other, black or white. It's rather a transition and an opportunity to diversify. And so when we have resource-poor countries uh, like Korea, like Japan, the opportunity to diversify your energy input uh, is only for the better and only secures national security and your economic security as you diversify your sources of, of, of uh, energy input. Now, oftentimes we hear about values-based trade, values-based uh, uh, relationships uh, in the economic space, but values are really tough to measure. Uh, it's very slippery slope. So I'd rather focus on the rule of law uh, and where we can, we as the United States can trade and, and engage in commerce easily with Korean companies and Japanese companies. We have a common understanding of property rights, of shareholder rights, and Japanese and Korean companies can list quite easily on New York exchanges and vice versa. And so we have this common capital space where we can create value, uh, not only uh, for individual companies, but for greater society and shareholders. Now, to my area of the world, uh, Europe, um, we have different experiences. And if we begin to pick apart the European experience uh, in energy, we can take France, uh, which charted its own course beginning in the 1950s with its dedication to nuclear power and energy independence uh, on the continent. We take the UK, which doubled down on its, its dependence on the North, East, uh, North, uh, North Sea oil shelf, uh, which is now transitioning to a wind-powered uh, model based on that same shelf, to Germany, which was a energy superpower in the 19th century based on its large coal deposits. Now, we, have a we had a transition to oil and gas. And rather than engaging in a <clears throat> policy that guaranteed Germany's energy security and national security, uh, they simply imported the carbon from Russia uh, in an Ostpolitik uh, 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 manner uh, through the belief, mistaken or not, that trade would allow for this opening of democratic and more normal market relations. Uh, unfortunately, that has not proved to be a wise wager. Um, and lastly, but certainly not least, we have the country of Ukraine, um, which in itself is an energy powerhouse. Uh, before the opening of the Siberian gas fields in the 1970s, uh, Ukraine was the primary export of gas to uh, the European market. Uh, those wells are still not capped out. Uh, with modern drilling and pumping technology, those wells are uh, uh, salvageable and can produce uh, excess gas, which could be sold to the European market. Um, so we have this experience of Ukraine as a, as a state that is undergoing its own energy transition. And if you look at the energy tariffs and subsidies in Ukraine, even during the wartime, uh, we have a, a greater mix of green energy with your standard energy, uh, 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 carbon, carbon intensive energy sources. Uh, we also have Ukraine exporting to the European market, electricity to the European market. Uh, and this is one of those quiet or unsung uh, US and European funded development programs which aimed after the invasion in 2014 of Ukraine uh, 
European and US partners aim to hook up Ukraine's electricity grid to the European market. Now, even during times of war, the Ukrainians have been able to export and import energy at will. Uh, and this has been a, a kind of a quiet success in that space. Um, I think that Dr. O's book uh, is, is a worthwhile read uh, in that it makes, uh, uh, it informs policymakers, and as you said, Dr. O, not, uh, not conversant in Korean, which is a beautiful language, and uh, I've, I've tried my hardest to, to do, but with family obligations, I, I just can't master more than a few words. Uh, but with, um, with uh, leaders like Dr. O in this space, uh, it allows policymakers to understand the geopolitical choices being made uh, over the past four to five decades by the leaders of Japan and Korea uh, to navigate a world uh, that was not always stable. Uh, and I think it, Korea has a lot to offer both Ukraine, uh, but also more widely uh, the world in its experience of navigating development as a resource poor or energy poor country rather uh, through this process. And it's not only the Europe has to has to learn or has has lessons to learn, uh, but also the wider world. And as you said, Colombia is an interesting op uh, observation. Um, so with that, I, I don't want to take up too more too much time, uh, but I think that lastly, I would like to to close on the opportunity here. Uh, that is presented by hosting the Summit for Democracy next year by Korea. Uh, and I think that um, the Korean government uh, with the private sector has the opportunity to show Korea's unique experience of development and democratization over the past 30 plus years and how democracy does not have to suffer suffer at the hands of development, and it's not a zero-sum game, that you can do both at the same time, and that you can offer dignity, inclusion, and opportunity to people as you grow and as you move up the value chain uh, with products and services to create world-beating companies, as Korea has proven time and again. So again, there is this opportunity for Korea here, and I'm glad that Dr. O is here with us in Washington today, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, and talk about this important topic of energy security. Thank you. Well, Dr. O, Eric, thank you both. This has both been a great presentation and I wanna try and dig more into sort of what you've both been talking about before we turn to the audience for Q and A. So you've both talked about the energy transition and I'm curious, Dr. O, you know, when you look at Korea and Japan and the different veto players involved, do you see different opportunities or challenges for that transition in either countries or even to work together on it because of those veto power structures? So that's people's choice. The outcome, so based on the predict prediction of the outcome, policymakers should adopt themselves to the that policy environment. Recently, uh, uh, regarding climate climate change policy, some people of some 
people of some countries has some have some concern that why their country don't make some decisive policy which pursue more uh, more renewable energy setting or more net zero policy. That's based. So in that situation, what I can recommend is persuading people, persuading inter, uh, parties concerned, and making the number of bit of effective number of bit of play, uh, number of effective bit of players lower than before. Thank you. So, Eric, you talked about the war in Ukraine, and I thought it was interesting how you sort of reframed rather than, you know, values rule of law. And you know, this is interesting because I was reading a separate article is actually talking about how when we look at democracy more generally, it's actually rule of law that we're seeing degrade, not necessarily democracy. And I put it in this context because what I'm curious about you're not a Korea expert, but somebody who's looking at these issues more broadly, is when we think about you know energy security, which, as you noted, you know is fundamental to everything we do. We would not be live streaming this today without you know a consistent energy supply. So when we look at you know, and I'm much more familiar with Korea's um, imports, but you know Japan to an extent, you know both of them, you know not to a large extent, but we're dependent on Russia for a relatively decent sized slice of their you know, energy. Uh, Korea more on the coal side, Japan, I think more on the gas side. But you know, how do we go about either through the process of transitioning to renewable sources or finding more secure sources of you know, hydrocarbons, you know, really sort of transition away from these countries where maybe rule of law is less problem or is more problematic to sources to where it's more secure. What sort of your thoughts on kind of that transition? Yeah. So uh, there, there are a, a few threads here that I could, I could pick up on. Oh, this one better. Right. Sure. There's, there's a few uh, threads here uh, to, to pick up on. Um, so, you know, in terms of, of the, so let me start with capital markets first, right? And so, uh, for years, we had this just-in-time economy, right? So we're doing Six Sigma, and we are, you know, uh, you know, only having, you know, enough inventory on hand uh, in order to produce the next widget out the door. Uh, and this was lean manufacturing and and, and all the things. That really, Japan was was a leading proponent and and uh, and an innovator on. However, that's in a world uh, where geopolitics uh, and economics has kind of covered up a lot of these differences in values and in the rule of law. Uh, we're now in a, a different place economically and geopolitically, where we have to have redundancies in supply. You know, if you have if you produce an automobile and you cannot put it in out or sell it in uh, to consumer uh, because of a missing 40 cent chip that deploys your airbag and you have to go park it in a parking lot for four for four months until you get that chip that $40,000 automobile is really not a, a great uh, investment or it's not it, your manufacturing process doesn't make sense now where capital markets have not quite caught up with this is to accurately in my opinion price in this geopolitical risk and so if we're dealing uh with markets uh, g7 g7 plus type markets where there's a strong rule of law where there's contracts that can be enforced uh where there's arbitration call clauses that can be called and we can come to a quick resolution 
then the the pricing needs to reflect that more accurately. Uh, finance has really discounted geopolitical risk uh, in the last 30 years because we've gotten a bit complacent, uh, to be quite frank. And when you deal with an authoritarian mercantilist state, it's quite a bit different than dealing with another democracy like Korea or like Japan. And the prices need to reflect that. The contract prices need to reflect that. The risk needs to reflect that. And that's not being reflected. The second point to that uh, about diversification of, of, uh, of energy supply is that in a lot of cases, there is no uh, market rationale because you're creating redundancy. Why should I fund this project if you're already meeting your, your coal uh, or your gas supply needs from, from Russia? Well, you know, if you would ask that question prior to February of 2022, it would have been a silly question. Now, in this world that we live in, you need to fund those non-bankable, non-marketable projects because you need the excess capacity and redundancy uh, in your supply chain. So I, I mentioned I was in Kazakhstan uh, just a, a, a last month, and 80% of their oil flows to Europe via pipelines located on the territory of the Russian Federation. Now, if Kazakhstan were want to want to produce uh, or, or to step out in front and have its own foreign policy that was against the wishes of those in the Kremlin, they're at a throttle point because they rely on oil revenues for a good chunk of their state revenue. Now, there have been proposals for decades to have a trans-Caspian pipeline through Azerbaijan and, and through Europe and Turkey, right? The, the middle corridor, the trans-Caspian corridor. However, banks have repeatedly, finance has repeatedly turned up their nose because there's excess capacity already in the pipeline via Russia. So who is going to then be responsible for taking up and financing the Trans-Caspian Pipeline if it makes no market sense? And this is really where I think that uh, leaders in democracies around the world need to kind of come to terms with how bankable projects are and what needs to be underwritten in order to achieve uh, market-oriented results. Right. Yeah. One can I add one interesting find, finding uh, on Korea and Japan's energy relation with the U.S. and Russia? And uh, for Korea, Korea's gas uh, gas import import from the U.S. is three times size of the gas import from Russia. Uh, and. Last year, Korea stopped importing of Russian oil. On the other hand, Japan, in 2021, Japan imported more gas from the US, but not in 2022. In 2022, Japan's natural gas import from Russia became bigger than that from the US. Korea's gas, uh, the import of gas, uh, gas is bigger than that of Japan. So wh why this happened? Uh, my, my thought is that first one is, uh, one more thing is, uh, this year, Japan's government uh, permitted, permitted importing from Sahalin uh, oil and gas. This difference came, I think that this difference came from the 
been from whether countries have equity in energy asset in Russia. So, and the other is mm. due to difference of veto player in each country's decision making system, this differentiation take, took place. That's my thinking. I mean, that's interesting. And I mean, it makes me sort of think if you look at Europe's experience, because there's, and even the US, because there were, um, I'm blanking which oil major it was that had the Sockland investment. Was it Exxon? Um, or, yeah. But, uh, and I think, you know, they all have sort of pulled out just reluctantly and everything, but they've also searched for alternative sources. Um, but this gets into when we talk about energy security and this whole idea of rule of law, you know, one, I think, and Dr. Jarrell, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. You know, if we look at Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy, the one aspect that I think is the clearest and most strongly worded is actually on energy security and what the Russian invasion of Ukraine has done for that and the need to basically not just move Korea off of Russian supplies, but to move basically the Indo-Pacific off of that and develop energy security. So I guess what I'd be interested in from you is sort of what do you think the opportunities are to work within the Indo-Pacific to try and shift away from problematic actors like Russia? Um, and then two, within that context, and this is where I wanted to bring the rule back, the one country we haven't talked about who clearly is a supplier for Korea right now um, is going to be a key player, not just on the fossil fuel side today, but on the clean energy side going forward because of their natural resources is Australia. And so what is the role of sort of Australia in this process and maybe perhaps a few other countries within the region? Very important question. Uh, regarding first one, on under this uh, geopolitical situation, I, I asked, as I did in my presentation, we and Japan should think about explore, exploration and development in the East China Sea based on Korea-Japan agreement on joint development of continental shelf in the East China Sea. That makes uh, Korea and Japan more secure in energy supply. Second, regarding second question, uh, Australia is could be uh, good a good energy supplier for Korea and Japan. Uh, for example, impacts impacts succeeded in exploration of big size gas reserve in Australia. And it makes Japan more secure in gas supply. Uh, on the on the part of renewable energy, Australia is po big potential for green hydrogen. So it wants the technology of green hydrogen and became some level of uh, commercialization. Korea and Japan should think about the Australia as a uh, important energy source of uh, for both countries. Thank you. We only have a short amount of time left, so I do want to take in turn to our audience, both here and online, if there are any questions. Um, Anthony? 
Thank you, Troy, and thank you. Question one, Dr. O. So the title of your book is very straightforward, Overseas Energy Investment of Korea and Japan. About a month ago, Camp David Trilateral Summit, one of the wonderful and never seen before. So there's a positive momentum in terms of uh, some specific cooperation between Washington, Seoul, and Tokyo. It can go beyond the security arena. Do you see any possibility in the energy space? It could be nuclear, it could be clean energy technology. Three countries can potentially work together. Two weeks ago, uh, last week actually, I was in Romania uh, for something called the Three Seas Initiative. There I see a lot of Japanese represent representatives talk about how they can be a resource to energy and connectivity and all that. So that's a question for you. And Eric, you are a very respected and frequent leader to Ukraine. And at this moment, maybe a few days ago, uh, the minister of South Korea's Ministry of Land and Infrastructure, he was meeting with the President Zelensky talking about potential reconstruction projects. Based on your recent trip to Ukraine, how real and practical would that be, really? Uh, because I mentioned this because uh, Dr. O's ministry is basically Ministry of uh, you know, uh, uh, Land and Infrastructure. Thank you. Okay. Uh, as we know, uh, recently, uh, three leaders gathered at Camp David and they just announced that we cooperate together better than before. And in in terms of energy security, I think that this could uh, give us good opportunities to enhance cooperation between Korea and Japan with the U.S. And first, I I like to two two things. One is about oil and gas. The other is about green energy. One is the regarding oil and gas. As I mentioned. Uh, utilize, uh, taking advantage of current current joint uh, agreement, Korea and Japan, Korea Japan agreement on joint development of continental shelf in the in the East China Sea is very important as a chance to secure energy supply in in terms of fossil fuel, and it will be kind of a test for the trilateral uh, cooperation. Second one, uh, green energy cooperation is uh, mentioned in the uh, fact sheet of the White House. And Korea and Japan, which had tried to develop green technology, but the level of technology is not so high, except battery. Uh, which countries can get good opportunities to develop the green tech, green energy technology at the, to the level of the U.S. by cooperation among the policymakers and technicians? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so thank thank you, uh, Anthony, for the for the question. Um, so you know, I, I think that there's opportunity here. Uh, and first, let me let me start with a little story uh, that years ago, uh, prior to uh, 2014 and, and uh, uh, Russia's uh, uh, invasion, 
um, Hyundai won a tender with Ukrzeznica, which is the Ukrainian state-owned railway. Uh, so Hyundai supplied train sets for their intercity rail connections at high, relatively high speeds, high speeds for Ukraine anyway. Uh, and uh, after the first winter, uh, the train started to break down. And so, uh, you know, the Ukrainians typically threw up their hands and uh, say, look at this, the, the tender was fixed, somebody got paid off. But what Hyundai did after that was they came in and they fixed the trains. And to be quite honest, the Ukrainians were shocked. And so Hyundai has a, a reputation in the country of actually following up on its contracts and fixing things if there's an issue, which pleasantly surprised many Ukrainians. So they have a, a reputation, Korean companies in the country have a reputation for reasonably priced, decent quality infrastructure products uh, after the experience with the, with the Hyundai's train sets. Um, and so I think that there's opportunity for uh, Korean enterprises that are looking for a launch pad into Europe that maybe maybe medium-sized enterprises from Korea that aren't yet uh, in Europe or have a large footprint in Europe, engineering firms, uh, uh, small small parts manufacturers, that sort of thing, because Ukraine already has an FTA with the European Union, uh, and uh, there's a, a relatively large uh, base of technically skilled, uh, educated folks uh, in, in the country. And the Western half of the country is relatively, even now, safe. Uh, to, to do business in. Uh, as Ukraine goes through its EU accession process, uh, being in Ukraine in the short term will lead to being within the European Union in the medium term. Uh, so for Korean businesses, uh, there is an opportunity to kind of get in uh, now uh, while prices are relatively low. There is a war. Uh, and establish yourself and your reputation in the country as a good employer uh, and as as, uh, as a firm that's committed uh, to the country's success. Um, and lastly, if there's any country that could offer Ukraine the roadmap to rebuilding an economy, it's Korea. Uh, not a kilometer of railway track was left after the war, as to my knowledge. Uh, and a to, to visit Seoul today, knowing that the country was completely devastated only 70 years ago is is quite remarkable and it's it's an inspirational example to offer to ukrainians uh and i think that you that korean business and korean enterprise has a has a big role in rebuilding the country well just one thing i'd add really quick on this that i don't think is necessarily widely known or talked about is that last winter when russia was trying to take out like generators and things to knock out electricity. Korea was one of the countries that was providing Ukraine with replacement parts, replacement generators to get power back up quickly. So there is some of this sort of more quietly going on already. Um, Tom, I saw you had a question. Uh, hi, I'm Tom with uh, KEI. Uh, thank you, Dr. O, for coming and presenting today. Um, I have a two-pronged question. So I'm glad you brought up green hydrogen in Australia. Uh, POSCO invested billions of dollars into a green hydrogen deal in Oman, if I'm not uh, incorrect. I was wondering uh, what future cooperation might there be in other green hydrogen projects? And then my second question is uh, the... 
2050 carbon neutrality scenario. So scenario B um, of this CNS, uh, which calls for less reliance on renewable energy and, and more on uh, carbon energy, um, a lot of the language around it might actually mention a Northeast Asian supergrid. How feasible is something like that? And what does Korea need to do to achieve the 2050 CNS? After Dr. O goes, I'd be curious of your thoughts on a Northeast Asian supergrid as well, Eric. Oh, very difficult question, but I have to answer. So, you know, among world countries, the countries which have the whose whose company has hydrogen car technology is uh, very very rare: Korea, Germany, Japan, small. So we have we are ready to utilize uh, green hydro, uh, hydrogen gas once this is commercially feasible. So Korean market itself is uh, uh, rather mature than other countries. So in that regards, Korean companies try to develop hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen making technology in foreign countries uh, due to the high higher productivity of renewable energy or higher reserve, uh, high potential of uh, fossil fuel in foreign countries. So now Korean companies are pursuing those opportunities. I think in the near future, Korean company will find, uh, will show some good result to the world people. Uh, regarding second one, the the target, uh, the target for for private sector, the target could look. I heard that the target is rather too tight to be uh, to be implement, implemented. So, in that regard. The reason why Korean government pursuing more electricity generation by nuclear power plant is uh, lowering that burden to private companies in a, to in this uh, 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 obligation to meet that uh, the CO two emission target. I think I can answer a rather after the this seminar. Thank you. Uh, just quickly on the on the security the the power grid, uh, you know, is to my mind, I don't know if there's a commercial rationale for it, right? And so then then it becomes who's financing the the grid. Uh, if it's if it's redundancy is necessary, uh, but. Uh, you know, again, redundancy for the sake of redundancy needs to be financed somehow. Uh, and when we're dealing with longer distances and undersea cable that protects that, that, that allows for additional vulnerabilities. If they, if states then come to rely on these, these very narrow bands, uh, that, that are, that are underseas. So, you know, I, I think it's a good idea in theory, uh, but it needs to be, you know, put into practical reality into to make sure that it's that you can you can run it out. 
Well, this has been a great discussion. Uh, before we go, I just want to mention that we have a series of upcoming programs here at KI that you may have interest in. Um, on September 27th, we'll be doing an event uh, on basically the U.S.-Korea alliance, its ability to take and sustain itself amidst competition with China. Um, we have our fourth annual survey release with the survey we do with YouGov coming out on October 3rd. And then on October 5th, we're going to touch on the implications of deeper Russia-China cooperation in light of the summit between uh, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. Um, but with that, uh, Dr. Oh, Eric, this has been a great conversation. Thank you both and look forward to seeing you both again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more Korea content, keep an eye on our podcast feed.